Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in San Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Aliza Pressman is the author of The Five Principles of Parenting, Your Essential Guide to Raising Good Humans. I've known Aliza for many years. We've had some mutual friends who all went to college together, and then she founded an organization called Seedlings, which was the place in New York for moms to gather in groups and learn from psychologists and experts about parenting. So, And then Aliza and I were some of the founding members of the Mount Sinai parenting team, which helps train doctors and residents to help with parenting in some innovative ways and educational modules and does a lot of really good work for particularly underprivileged people in the community, but really everybody in this unique way of disseminating information. So anyway, Aliza and I spend a lot of time together and I adore her. She is amazing. Here's her official bio. Dr. Lisa Pressman is a developmental psychologist with nearly two decades of experience working with families and the healthcare providers who care for them. Eliza is an assistant clinical professor in the Division of Behavioral Health Department 
of Pediatrics at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai Hospital, where she is co-founding director of the Mount Sinai Parenting Center. I think I said parenting team before, but I meant parenting center. Aliza is also the host of the hit podcast, Raising Good Humans. She holds a BA from Dartmouth College, an MA in Risk, Resilience, and Prevention from the Department of Human Development at Teachers College, and her PhD in Developmental Psychology from Columbia University Graduate School of Arts and Sciences. Aliza also holds a teaching certificate in mindfulness and meditation from the Greater Good Science Center at the University of California at Berkeley. Aliza is the mother of two teenagers. Welcome, Aliza. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss the five principles of parenting, your essential guide to raising good humans. Congrats. Thank you. So cool that you've written a book. So for those listening, Aliza and I have known each other for quite some time, originally through our friend Eva Heyman, who I adore. I remember meeting you at some wedding or something and her telling me like how much all of everybody loved you so much in college. And I was like, well, who is this girl? Anyway, <laughs> that was so long ago. I can't even. And then you were the seedlings group person who had all the answers when I was struggling with small children, didn't know what I was doing with myself. So well, I didn't I don't either. Know. Anyway. <laughs> but anyway, it's just so exciting. Then we, the Mount Sinai Parenting Group, we can go back to all this stuff, but now to have you write a book, it's just so cool. Oh, thank you. I know you, it's true. I was thinking more, yeah, like Mount Sinai, but yeah, it's been a really long time <laughs> if I'm going all the way back. Um, but I, and I never would have written a book, but I felt like, in fact, I definitely was like, I'm not adding more to people's plates with like another parenting book. But then I thought I could do one that could hopefully whittle it down to be everything under one roof and maybe turn down some of the noise that's out there. I definitely had to write a parenting book. I'm so glad you finally did. <laughs> so let's back up. First of all, tell everybody about this book and when you decided to write a book, how you structured it into these five principles. I love how you use your own voice and you know your own anecdotes throughout. That was great because you, know, you never know. Sometimes it could be just purely reported. But now I know that you failed intro psych, so that's great to know. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I think I took that out of, I think that's out of the final Oh no, is draft. it? It doesn't matter. I, I'm not, I'm not ashamed. I mean, I'm not proud, <laughs> but, but I took it out of the intro because somebody said to me, you know, when you're starting this book and you're a parent and you're really, really busy, they, they don't need your whole entire story of how you got here. So shorten it a bit. I was oh my like, God, I okay. loved it. Oh no, I love that part. You're like, who knew you had to cancel your 8 a.m. class? You know, I don't know. I thought it was I, hilarious. But you're totally right. And that is like the two sentences that I took out. That's oh so Oh my funny. gosh. Well, great. The, well, anyway. Sorry all right. Well, Zibby has a different copy, so you can all... Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> well, 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 now um... you all know that, in fact... <laughs> yeah, it's true. I failed psych one. And I was at Dartmouth, <laughs> and it was not my proudest moment. And then I definitely did not know I was going to go into this field, or I probably would have you know, made a different decision. <laughs> I also didn't know that you used to be really into theater. Yeah, I know. That was how the, the structuring of this book, true, I was like, I, and I say this all the time, actually at Mount Sinai, which everybody I think is more on the sporty side in our group, <laughs> but I only know theater analogies. <laughs> so everybody 
you know, we learn to work with each other, but I'm always using theater things. And in this book, I did the second half of the book. I called from page to stage, which is meaningless to anyone who doesn't care about theater. (laughs) But for me, it's like translating the work into your everyday parenting felt like, what else could you call it? But from page to stage. (laughs) Okay. So back up, where did you grow? Like, give us the the two sentence (laughs) Where did you grow up? Did you grow up in LA or New York? And then how did you, then you got into theater and then you fell into this when you were looking into drama therapy programs, but give (laughs) us a little more color on that because you have become such a revered expert, particularly among, you know, everybody with kids for, who are now, I would say what, 20 to like, I don't know, 10 to 20, every person in New York city knows who you are. (laughs) You know, you're like the person. So how did that all happen? And then let's lead that into some of the big takeaways from your book. I actually grew up in Rockville, Hmm. Maryland until high school. And in high school, I moved to New York, but I was in Rockville and born in Ohio. And I think, cause we have family our parents are both from Dayton, right? Yes, of course. Yes, yes, yes. So the, anyway, I lived in New York for high school and then I came back to New York after college and I was doing theater. And when I was doing theater, like it just wasn't as meaningful to me. I wasn't finding the meaning I was looking for. The luxury that I had after college was to find meaning, which I recognize is a ridiculous thing to say now. Mm -hmm. I I was 22 and I was like, I really need to find more meaning than what I'm doing. But so I did theater for a while. And in doing so, I did start doing some volunteer work, which led me to this strange path to developmental psychology because I went to NYU to find out about a theater, like it was a drama therapy program. And I learned that you could do both of the things that I thought were interesting, like think about how humans come to be who they are and how to support them and also do theater. I was like, this is amazing. (laughs) But then it was just a weird, just life works in funny ways. It was a weird time of year. I think it was January. So maybe applications were already closed, but I could take the foundational courses that I would need anyway. And I took what I felt like was speed dating in this field of psychology. So I took all the different branches of psychology. And I, when I took developmental psychology and learned about attachment, I was like, oh, this is so cool. <laughs> and it was so dorky and even weirder that I didn't have kids yet. But I was like, this is fascinating, like how humans connect with their caregivers and how they grow into unfolding people. Like that to me was so fascinating. But in retrospect, it was a very strange love to find in my 20s when I had no children. (laughs) So you fell in love with it and then you started practicing. And when did you end up starting Seedlings Group? Like how did that all come about? I think I was in graduate school at Columbia and I was pregnant And another one of my friends who had finished the program at Columbia, and she was a professor at NYU, or maybe she was a postdoc at the time, she and I would talk to each other about, you know, everything that we would read and hear and, like, kind of make sense of it based on the research. And we felt like a real camaraderie over being able to understand what the research was saying and translate it 
But we also felt like it was really strange that there were not necessarily aligned voices on the playground. Like they were saying things that were kind of misinterpreting the research. So we thought it would be really cool to start parent groups. They were really mother's groups for the most part that where we could do both of those things, have the playground conversation, but have the the science as the foundation. So that's how we started Seedlings Group. And then, I don't know, life just grows with you. You sort of do what feels like is needed. And also, I think sometime during that period, at some point, there were people that felt like that was something that should be applied in healthcare settings. Just the idea that we can actually integrate parenting and child development into the experience of every human that goes near a hospital. And since 95% of kids are going to be in the hospital throughout those first few years, and certainly born, I think it's even higher percentage born in hospitals, it just felt like another place to grow this work of giving parents support. So there you go. Wow. So in the book, you talk about how to, you know, raise great kids, great humans, but also great parents, how you can become a great parent yourself. And that, that I is, mean, I just say good. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Is lower. Good. Okay. <laughs> okay. Fine. Good. Sorry. <laughs> Raising good parents. How do you become a good parent? I mean, I wanted to call the book Raising Good Parents, but that got nixed because the publishers thought it would be unclear. But I was like, no, I think if you're a parent, you know what that means, which is just like, it's not really anything about controlling the kids or anything to do with the kids. It's really about supporting us and helping us figure out what we're doing, how we're feeling, how we're responding. And though I couldn't call it that, I did have a chapter and called Raising Good Parents for that reason, where I just wanted to lay out that a lot of this isn't really about our kids. It's just like the way into having mothers in particular care about themselves because no one who has kids really that I know is like, you know what? Forget the kids. I'm just going to focus on me. (laughs) It's so hard to do that. But if you find out that there are certain things that feel like focusing on you but are actually benefiting your kids, it's just a little bit more motivating. And really, the five principles could be applied to any situation, adults or kids. But again, I just framed it in parenting because that seems to be what captures us. Mm -hmm. And so what I wanted to do was think about all the research that has been We've been looking at this for decades. It's been replicated. It's across cultures and across communities. It's not trendy. Like, I just didn't want to bring any of that into it. So what do we know for sure? And there's a lot we don't know for sure. But what do we know for sure actually moves the needle that we can learn and that is in our control? Those were the criteria that I wanted. Because otherwise it feels like, well, I can't, what am I going to do about that? Thank you so much. (laughs) So I do mention temperament, of course, which you can't do anything about. And I do mention like pretty deeply figuring out our own values, but the, but the science of the five principles are relationship, reflection, regulation, rules, and repair. And those are really what we know we have control over 
we can do something about, we can get better at, and it is a pathway to resilience for both parents and kids. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything, it might be time to work on those things. And I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because... Even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help, and I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. Talk a little more about regulation. I feel like this is something that, you know, it requires more prefrontal, prefrontal cortex development a little bit and that parents and kids alike can struggle with, perhaps people yeah. I know like myself, you know, <laughs> so g- give us some, some tips from that section. And, you know, for those who have trouble regulating things like sleep or food or, you know, attention or all of that, like, w- where is the, where's the hope? <laughs> well, the hope is that we have, our brains are so plastic and we really do get to grow and change. It's certainly easier to wire than to rewire So it's easier to focus on regulating yourself as the adult so that you can best support the developing regulation of your child. But we're going to fail at it many times. Probably at least one of us today will, you know, lose it (laughs) at some point. And that's totally fine. That's where we have repair. But regulation is really the intentional control over your behavior, your emotions, your attention. So all of the things that you mentioned fall under that category. And when you practice regulating yourself, which 
you really can only get a game at as a, a fully developed person. So if your prefrontal cortex doesn't develop till you're between 18 and almost 30, then of course the place that houses the capacity to self-regulate is not as developed for the younger kids. They're not going to do as good of a job and they need to sort of borrow our regulation. So that's called co-regulation. It's a huge part of parenting and it's really hard to do (laughs) because one of the most dysregulating things to have in a parent's life is a dysregulated child. A, A kid who is completely spun out can set us off. And when I can, like, if I can sell you the idea that while that's happening, if you can remind yourself, even do the hack of putting your hand on your heart or hand on belly or something, whatever gives you a little bit more soothing in your nervous system. And you can say to yourself, like, feelings aren't dangerous. My child is safe. So I can regulate myself and I don't even need to talk to them right now. I can just focus on getting myself regulated. It gives them the message that what they're experiencing is not an emergency, not because it doesn't feel bad, but just that you, the parent, aren't like, oh my God, we have to fix this uncomfortable feeling right this second. And I know for me, if I just, if I look back in my life and even today, probably, if I call my parents and cry, I can really set them off (laughs) because they really don't like when I have a hard feeling. It's like, who does? Nobody does. But the particular parents that I have at the particular era that I was raised with the particular culture that I'm in, like I have Jewish parents. They don't want their daughter upset. So they will do things to make the upset go away. And so the message over the years is like being upset is dangerous. It shouldn't happen. Let's fix it. And I would like to refresh. They are the best. I love them. This is not about them, but just to try to personalize it. (laughs) I think if we can tell ourselves feelings aren't dangerous, I can be here while you're experiencing a range of emotions and I can regulate myself because the only reason to be dysregulated is if there's an emergency and I have to, you know, set the alarm off. But if there isn't an emergency, which there is not for feelings, I can just be here. And that gives you, the child, the chance to recognize that there is a safe nervous system that's functioning in the room and also that it's not scary to feel big feelings. I'm just soaking this in for myself. (laughs) I'm like, okay, (laughs) this is great. Thank you. (laughs) But we, we, listen, I mean, we all get dysregulated and we, we have to know what things set us off. I think it's really funny when you look at partners and you think, how come they did not care at all about whatever? Mm -hmm. Maybe one child says something in a flippant way or one child's freaking out because somebody was mean to them at school or whatever it is. And you can see like one person hearing the same story doesn't have the same system set off. Mm -hmm. So that's when you go back to your like, oh, right, because this isn't a thing for you. This is not, I don't love the word trigger, but Mm -hmm. for the purposes here, like this is not a trigger for you. So you can co-regulate because you're not worried about it. Whereas I'm here like, oh my God, this reminds me of the time. I was so horrible. I don't want my kid to experience that. 
or whatever it is. And so I think it's interesting just to see that different people respond to that sense of like, there's an emergency to different things. I love it. Well, in the book, you you really tackle like the whole kind of childhood span all the way through hormonal changes and differences and, you know, fabulous Q&A section and all of that. As you wrote it, how did you, and what was it like for you to write this book? If, you know, how did you decide to structure it the way you did? How did you know what to leave in, put in, what to leave out? And did you enjoy writing a book? I enjoyed the process much more than I enjoy this part of like really? telling people <laughs> to get the book. <laughs> like the solitude of just like sitting down and thinking about what really matters in my field and what really matters as a mother and all of the things. That was fun. I am lucky enough to have, I had a lot of content already. So I needed to sift through and really figure out like if you had no time. So I had to figure out what really needed to be what I felt like was under one roof for a parent who's like, I just need to grab this. I need to look up this one thing and then I don't want to look at this again for a year. (laughs) (laughs) or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to structure it so that you could kind of say either, I really am curious about the science or I really want to just go to this one topic or one age. And I felt like I wanted there to be fluency so that it wasn't like you have to memorize scripts or, you know, learn about everything under the sun. And so I wanted to choose something that you could replicate from birth through adolescence, the same thing over and over again, responding in the same way, just developmentally shifted for your child's age and for your own personality. And so in order to do that, I really wanted to have a framework that was manageable, like five principles. And then I wanted to think about like, okay, what are all of the pain points that come up over the years? Like, what do I hear constantly by age. And that was kind of how I did it. All right. I like it. (laughs) Do you ever find it hard when you watch like people in the act of parenting and see like disaster moments? Like, do you want to go say like, actually, this is the way you might want (laughs) to handle this? I'm just going to say. No. (laughs) Occasionally, I think like, I really feel like it would be so neat if we lived in a world where that would come across in a helpful way. But Mm -hmm. since I know it would just make a person feel so ashamed and so annoyed, I don't (laughs) say anything. (laughs) And do you feel like this extra layer of, I don't know, trying to be the perfect parent since you know all this stuff? No, I actually feel, and my kids will make fun of me all the time for this. And they're like, they want to have like a bloopers reel of me and like all the crappy parenting I do. But I believe in my bones what I say in the research, which is good enough is good enough. And if anything, that perfection is the enemy of good parenting. So when I make mistakes, I genuinely believe it's part of growth and it's part of my kids knowing that we are not perfect and we are not asking our kids to be perfect, that the goal is not possible. And so they can let go of it before, you know, especially because I have two daughters, they're higher risk for that kind of thing. And so I would say I am more gentle with myself and more self-compassionate because I know that a lot of stuff doesn't matter. And so I don't 
fixate on it. Now, there are some people that might be like horrified (laughs) because I'm like, that doesn't really matter. So I'm not doing it. But it's more like I'm gentle on myself because I really believe that the science allows for that space and I need it. But I love my kids so much and I have grown as a parent and a person the more I you know, evolve as a parent and a person. So I look back at things from when they were younger and feel like very cringy, but I do forgive myself in a way that I think the science supports and helps me with. And I don't have that sense of like, I have to have this perfect and my kids have to be perfect because I'm setting an example. In fact, I have a num- on a number of occasions, my kids, more when they were little, like when I used to have groups at home, And I remember once my daughter was like, mom, I opened the door for all of the people in your group because I bumped into them downstairs and I knew that they needed to see that I was nice. And I was (laughs) like, oh my God, that's so awful. (laughs) So I really have tried to stress to them like who you are is not related to my work and I'm not getting fired because (laughs) you have a misstep. And I say that to them all the time. Because that is a much bigger worry for me is not that my parenting is going to have mistakes because it just does. And I accept that like literally constantly. I, the only, for me, the only liability is I can see the, like I can look outside myself, watch myself making a mistake and watch myself make the conscious decision to like, just keep making it. (laughs) And and I don't love that, you know, because it's like sometimes that's too much information where you can just be like, wow, if I were in graduate school, I used to code videotape interactions between mothers and children. I did that too. Yes. But then as an, like, as I grew up as a parent, I was like, man, if I were coding this moment, it would not be a great score. (laughs) But that bothers me less than when my kids think that that somehow their, anything about their development needs to be different because of my job. Mm -hmm. Then I feel like, oh my God, what have I done to you? (laughs) So that's why I didn't talk about high schoolers in this book, because I didn't want anything to go beyond what my kids age, you know, where my kids are right now. Interesting. Okay. So to wrap up, what advice would you give to aspiring authors? <clears throat> that was such a terrible sound. That was a, that was a huge eye roll on Elisa's part, by the way, at that question, like with a sigh. Eye roll plus sigh. We can skip the question. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I just don't, it's funny. I think of my, I don't think of myself as an author. But no, you I are. think of myself as a developmental psychologist, but who wrote something, which is so weird because you're right. I I guess now I'm an author, Mm -hmm. but I haven't really heard or thought about it in that way. So I guess I have to think about it. (laughs) That's really interesting. It's just not a a way I identify myself, Mm -hmm. but it's so new. Like I'm, I'm a little giddy at hearing it. (laughs) You should. Yeah. It's exciting. It's very exciting. But I don't have groundbreaking advice because I'm still kind of absorbing the idea that this is something that I do. (laughs) So take it with, you know, I guess the advice is um, give yourself time and permission to celebrate your own accomplishments along Mm -hmm. the way. (laughs) 
There you <laughs> yeah, go. there you go. Okay. <laughs> well, Aliza, congratulations. The book is great. I just know it's going to fly off the shelves. Everyone's going to get this book, The Five Principles of Parenting. Great for all ages. Thank you so much. And Thank you for um, having me. This was a delight. So thanks. You're a delight. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.